All right, guys. As I told you, I reread Neil Pasricha's book, which is The Happiness Equation. And I highly recommend it to you guys as well if you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed by everything. Because the number one thing he says we need to do is be happy first. Be happy first and everything else follows. And I want to read this one part to you because it goes into our next topic. Here's what he says. This is like right at the beginning. We have the same brains we've always had through this short, brutal, and highly competitive time in our history. Our brains didn't just suddenly change when we got printing presses, airplanes, and the internet. How have our brains been programmed? So he has this neat little chart. It goes back to year 180,000 before the common era, BCE. I need food and safety. If I don't, I'll die. <laughs> and then fast forward, 170,000 BCE. I need food and safety. If I don't, I'll die. Keep on going up to 100,000 BCE. I need food and safety. If I don't, I'll die. All the way up until now, even in the, the year 1000, you needed food and safety. And if you don't, you'll die. That was programmed into our little brains. And so it's only now that we have the luxury of worrying about happiness. But here's what he says. What did this fear do? It drove our survival. We survived at all costs. We were paranoid. We were fighters. We were ruthless. We were brutal. We were murderous. And because of it, we got here. And because of it, we took over the planet. And because of it, we have everything in the world. So this begs the question, is that fear still programmed into our heads today? Well, I think that's what my next guest might argue. <laughs> We've got Marco Navarro-Gini, Senior Fellow at Frontier Center and President of the Haltane Research Institute, and Barry Cooper, Professor of Political Science at the U of C and Senior Fellow at the Frontier Center for Public Policy. We're talking about their new book, The Moral Panic of Pandemics, and they join us now to talk about it. Professors, thanks so much for being with us today. Morning, Danielle. Oh, we just dropped uh, Marco Navarro-Gini, so let's begin with uh, Dr. Cooper. So, Dr. Cooper, tell us why. Tell us the premise of of your approach to this, because it's a it's a pretty rapid turnaround on a book. I know it's available on Amazon, but what's your beginning point? Well, I think there are really there are two beginning points. Uh, both Marco and I are, are political scientists, and and one of the things that we're supposed to do is um, take a look at public policy and see what is actually going on, and then try and you know help our fellow citizens as well as our students try and understand it. I mean, that's the, that's the basic, uh, I mean, we started looking at this last, uh, last winter, actually, in, in February. And what we discovered was, was that COVID-19 uh, did not um, predetermine the policy response that occurred uh, in this country or in the United States or in Europe uh, or in China, for that matter. Uh, and we decided we would try and, and figure out uh, what was going on in the minds of our public policy people that allowed them to, um, as we are basically argue, get away with so much repression of our normal uh, understanding of, of what it is to live in a free and democratic society. Let me, uh, I think we've got Marco back, so I just want to text, uh, test his line. And one of the things that uh, you identify is the spread of viruses like COVID-19 <laughs> is not new. What is new is our response. So Professor Nav uh, Navarro, I don't know if I should call you like by your full last name. Let me call you Professor Marco. Why don't we, uh, why don't you tell us what, what, what would you have anticipated to be a normal public policy response compared to what we saw? What, what did you see as, as the glaring differences? Well, the, thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Uh, th there is no such a thing as normal when it comes to, to a pandemic, right? Because uh, we're not really set up to deal with this kind of thing on a regular basis. So it is naturally going to disrupt uh, the flow of everything we do. 
but but this is not new in the sense that you know in the last hundred years since the uh, the so-called Spanish flu in 1918, 1919, this is our fifth worldwide pandemic. So we're, we're, it's not in the distant future. It's not we're not dealing with you know the black plague memory or anything like that. This is this is fairly recent. And in fact, the last couple have been uh, within most people's uh, lifetime: uh, the Asian flu in 1957, the Hong Kong flu in 1968, and, and of course we forget the swine flu, less not uh, in 2009. The, the last two, by the way, are, are still circulating uh, in the regular air of uh, flu season. Uh, uh, I think it's uh, in the strand of uh, flu season, uh, sorry, influenza A. But uh, w- what we could have done is really assess the situation uh, instead of going into a full panic. And, and we argue, uh, we look at the data, we look at the evidence that, that the full panic was mostly influenced by this faulty modeling. Uh, in which uh, people started forecasting nearly millions and millions of deaths worldwide. So uh, the other thing that we do, of course, and you know we can get into this um, during the conversation, is is look at uh, different countries that handle it different way. We we hone in on Sweden because Sweden is the case that is more alike. Uh, Canada, in a sense, a Western country with a, a monarchy and traditions and uh, of free uh, freedom and 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 and, uh, and rights, but but in essence, uh, we keep honing on the issue that whatever response we gave uh, in Canada is of necessity abnormal, but uh, that is not necessitated by the virus. We keep saying that the economy is ruining the virus. It's not the economy that is ruining the virus is the public policy decisions that our politicians have made. Let me go back to Professor Cooper, because I I think that um, we're given the impression and politicians have reinforced this. They keep on comparing this to the Spanish flu. And I I did a book review on the Spanish flu prior to COVID breaking. So I know they're very, very different. But how have they been allowed to get away with that? Because this is a totally different disease profile, totally different level of risk, impacts a totally different group of people, has had a totally different death rate. And yet I think it uh, the politicians have made people believe that it's just as bad as what happened in 1918-19. Do you have a comment on that, Professor Cooper? Yeah, I think that one of the one of the biggest things that we tend to overlook is the unanimity among the media uh, in listening to this. They they never interview uh, minority positions. They, they most of them people in the media are are unlike you are unwilling to read anything uh, that they don't get in press releases. Uh, I mean, you know, people have commented on this for for ages. I think that's a, a major problem. Uh, the discussion of models, I mean, there was a huge discussion of the limitations of the model that uh, was put up by the University of London, uh, but nobody paid any attention to it because it was so spectacular, like we were all going to die. And so that, you know, that becomes the the uh, what you, the things you see in the headlines or the, the, the lead story on television. And the fact that it's it's complete rubbish never, never just seems to occur to people. Um, I mean, I'll give you an example. Probably most Albertans don't know that from 2014, we had in, pl- in, in place uh, an influenza pandemic plan. The, the government of, of Alberta had this, uh, and it was, it was known, at least uh, it ought to have been known am- among the bureaucrats, uh, and it was immediately ignored. I mean, if, I don't know if the Premier knew about it or not, but it was certainly ignored. It's never been discussed. Uh, and it's very similar in its comprehensiveness to what the Swedes had. 
uh, before they had to deal with the with the pandemic, uh, the same pandemic that we have to deal with. So you can deal with these things in a way that mitigates the the uh, kind of spectacular impact, uh, but it takes a certain amount of moderation and and the kind of pre-planning and 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 basically common sense. And that's you know that doesn't uh, that really doesn't sell when people like to get scared. Well, let me then just get you to elaborate on that a bit, because th- those who are gripped by fear and believe that this is just as bad as the Spanish flu and the government's reactions are completely appropriate, wh- what evidence or data are you looking at that has caused you to come to a different judgment? First, I'll talk to uh, Professor Cooper, and then I'll turn it back to, to uh, Professor Marco Navarro. Well, the, the, the first thing I looked at was there was an Oxford model that came out at the same time as, as the Imperial College one, and quite different uh, uh projections i mean much much different there's a a whole uh, uh part of the uh, stanford's uh, medical school that deals with uh, with pandemic statistics these guys know what they're talking about but they've been ignored uh they've been marginalized no, nobody uh on cnn has probably heard of them no i know for sure no one on cbc would ever dare uh, interview a guy like uh, john Ioannidis, for example because what he says completely contradicts the the, the mainstream narrative that everybody likes to get, you know, this uh, frisson of, uh, of uh, terrible expectations. And, and this has its own appeal, obviously, uh, but it's one that needs to be, uh, I would say, criticized by, by evidence. And, and that just simply hasn't happened. I also will mention, I, I have heard of the Stanford group because Jay Bhattacharya is there as well. And he's the author of the Great Barrington Declaration, which seems to have advised uh, Doc, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis in, in Florida. And I think there's about 50,000 people who have signed on to it. So I know it's not a small group who take that view. But let me turn it back to Dr. Uh, uh, Navarro-Gini. What, what do you look at as a way of making a determination that this isn't as bad as the, as the Spanish flu? I, I would say that... Maybe at uh, the very beginning of, of March, we, we might have had some reason to panic, uh, considering that we were talking about a, a big pandemic, uh, that the, the WHO, uh, the World Health Organization, seemed to be in some disarray, that the pictures that were coming in from China were quite alarmist. And, and in, in, the, in light of that, one can excuse the panic at, at the beginning. Um, and... Uh, and maybe even the desire to 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 lock down but but the reality is that uh soon thereafter uh we began to get some really good data about the mortality rate nowhere near anything like the the the, the spanish the spanish flu uh we began to get uh information about who would be the people who were most likely to be uh struck by um, by the by the illness caused by the, the virus uh, and 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 so forth so uh, we look at Sweden for example and we look at the the example of how they reacted to it in in, in much more a, a sober I would say manner without panicking and and they try to protect uh, the people who were the most vulnerable while at the same time letting more or less the rest of the country run along uh, about their business. That's not to say that the Swedes have succeeded enormously. Uh, they have had very similar profile in the uh, in the enormity of death among the elderly, especially those who are 80 and and, and older. So the, the Swedes don't don't fare any better than we, or we don't fare any better than than the Swedes in that in that respect. But but the panic of totally shutting down an entire economy and and, and keeping people home 
and, and having people arrested on the streets and, and all the kinds of things that, that we have seen were certainly not warranted for this, uh, for this kind of uh, contagion. Uh, and, and certainly within a couple of weeks, uh, we knew uh, a, a lot better once we had seen data from European countries and, and whatnot. I think most people agreed that the data and the images and most of what was coming out of China could not be trusted. And, and, and yet, rightly so. But and, here's and the thing. So. And yet you've got the, the, the king of Sweden now saying that the Swedish policy was wrong. And it seems like any any jurisdiction that goes offside it becomes a target of all of those voices that we were talking about. And I want to understand what is behind that. Let me take a pause. Marco Navarrogini is my guest, as is Barry Cooper. They're joint authors of The Moral Panic of Pandemics. Do stay with us. We'll continue the conversation right after this on Chorus Radio. All right. Someone's challenging me saying no one to ever compares this to the Spanish flu. Uh, maybe Mayor Nahednenshi is the only one who does so repeatedly, constantly, nonstop, it seems. And so that's maybe why it's stuck in my head. But we've been subjected to that for the last number of months. Um, but here's my analysis. I'm 49. I've looked at the stats. I'm in an age group that has a minuscule level of risk. I'm healthy. I eat well. I sleep well most of the time. I exercise. I take my vitamin D, my vitamin B. I'll take some vitamin C with a little bit of zinc. I have a pulse oximeter at my bedside. In case I'm feeling like maybe I'm a little breathless, just make sure that my blood oxygen level's fine. And I know that there are emerging therapeutics that if I do get diagnosed, I can ask my doc if I'm a candidate for it. That is why my level of fear is zero, like literally zero. I have no level of fear, but that is obviously not the case for everybody else. And why is that? And why is it that those jurisdictions that take a different approach end up getting dogpiled on? I wonder if we can get some thoughts on that by Marco Navarrogini and Barry Cooper, who are the author of the new book, The Moral Panic of Pandemics. So Professor Cooper, let's start with you. Like, is there, there has absolutely been a targeted kind of attack campaign on Sweden in particular, because they've been such an outlier in their approach what explains that? Um, well, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to go all political science on you, but uh, there is. Uh, Tocqueville talked about this in the middle of the 19th century that that there is a kind of uh, free-floating anxiety among democratic populations uh, that is easily exploited by uh, politicians uh, like our beloved mayor, and and I would say the premier as well, and to say nothing of the of the prime minister. Uh, that it allows people to find meaning in their lives through the intensity of their fears. Uh, I mean, this is not new, and I think that's that's the sort of basic um, issue. But with respect to Sweden in particular, and with all due respect to His Majesty, uh, he's wrong. Uh, the Sweden had nothing like the deliberate, self-inflicted collateral damage on the economy that we have had. They, their, their statistics, uh, just in terms of the medical issue, are certainly comparable to their neighbors and, and comparable to us. Uh, and, there, you know, there's a variation. But COVID-19 is not a medical issue. It's a political issue. And it, what happened in Sweden was much different than happened here, even though at the end of the day that the medical stats are approximately the same. And that's what prompted the king to say that they made a mistake. But what he neglected to talk about is that there was there was nothing like the shutdown of the economy in Sweden uh, that was done by the government. I mean, this was this was not done by you know a bunch of microbes, uh, and and that made a huge difference in terms of all of these other. Uh, I mean, we talk of them as comorbidities now, but but people who are, who are having drug overdoses, who are depressed, you know, who are suicidal, all of this stuff 
is a result, a direct result of this uh, idiotic policy that we've been pursuing in this country. I am afraid we are out of time, but I know I'm going to have you both back because I know you're watching it and it may take another year or two or three before we start analyzing the data in its fulsome nature, but I'm glad you guys have already gotten started. That was Marco Navarro-Gini, Senior Fellow at the Frontier Center, President of the Haltane Research Institute, and Barry Cooper, Professor of Political Science at the UC. Time for calls. We'll be right back on Chorus Radio.